This podcast is to entertain and to inform, not to provide medical advice. You should always consult your own personal medical team when it comes to your health. Good evening. Welcome to another episode of At the Heart of Your Health. I am your host, Dr. Kendall Griffith, and my co-host, Nurse Nikki. We are back and excited again to be with you tonight to discuss matters that get to the heart of your health. And in particular, um, for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about what everybody's talking about, which is COVID-19. Yes. <laughs> so um, tonight, it's going to be the same. Uh, until this thing kind of dies down and we can start to focus on other things, we st- still have some things that we can um, just inform you about and, and we can discuss. So, um, so Nikki, you, you got some information to tell us? Yes, you can send us an email. The email address is at the heart of your health at gmail.com. That's at the heart of your health at gmail.com. Right. And you know what, Dr. Griffith? Yes. Before we get into this show, what is this month and possibly around this day? Do you remember? The anniversary, our, mm. our, our first year anniversary of being on the air. We have been on the air one year. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Time flies. I, I remember when, when I first got on the radio, I was so scared. <laughs> Petrified. Well, actually, I still am. Yeah. Me? Well, no, you're not. <laughs> no, I'm not. just kidding. <laughs> I was too. It's, it's um, very funny how mm-hmm. how scared we were. Like mm-hmm. it was just, you know, we're talking and hoping people are listening and we didn't know. And then we found out that we have a lot of really supportive listeners out yeah. there. So thank you yeah. to everybody. Yeah, so, and, so thank you all. And happy anniversary to... Ha- happy anniversary. <laughs> yes, ab- absolutely. So... Let's get you, into it. You want to start? No, you start. That's okay. Perfect. All right. Well, let's just talk talk about COVID nineteen and and you know I was just reading some some interesting things about some of the cardiac effects of COVID nineteen. But we'll get into mm-hmm. that in a little bit. I just wanted to at least begin first by saying again the importance of sheltering in place, following yes. the the governor's and the mayor's request. Well, not really request. It's a uh, well, guidelines. So order. <laughs> yeah, order. Well, that, yes, the shelter in place is an order. The yeah. rest of the stuff is guidelines. But there's, there's a clear reason for that because if we can keep the number of infected people down, then we can keep the number of people who die from this thing until we can figure out how to take the teeth out of it. Yes. So that it doesn't kill as many people. So, um, what like about to, some stats? Yeah, you how wanna, about that? So as of today in Georgia, we have a total of 15,260 confirmed cases. And of those cases, we have 3,006 people who are hospitalized as a result of COVID-19. That makes up 19.7% of the total number of confirmed cases. And unfortunately, we have um, 576 deaths, and that makes up 3.77% of the total number of people infected. And this goes along with what everybody is seeing nationally and and even, you know, around the world. So right. that, that 3 to 5% range is what we're seeing with, with COVID-19. 
regarding the number of, of deaths. Yes. So, so far, I think that the shelter in place is really working because yes. Um, yes. theoretically, it should be a lot worse than, than that. Yes, it should yeah. be. And then in the United States total, there are 640,791 confirmed cases. Although they do think the number is higher because there have been people who have passed away in their homes, mm-hmm. unfortunately, yeah. a high number in New York. And that's true. So since they weren't tested, they're assuming that it's associated with um, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And there's been... 28,354 deaths total in the United States. And worldwide, there's been 2,049,888 confirmed cases, and there have been 133,572 deaths. So that's... And and your point is well taken that we don't really have a a true number because mm-hmm. you know our testing especially here in the United States hasn't been as robust um, as as it can be and they're unfortunately find, finding now people who have died at home so your point is well taken on that an interesting statistic is that when you look at the race composition of people who have the virus and those who are dying i'm i'm just going to just read some numbers for you. Of the total number of people in Georgia who have the illness, those who are black of Latino descent combined with those who are black of African descent make up 3,152 cases. And of those, that is equal to 286 cases. So so of all the deaths, um, 286 of, actually, no, I take that back. I didn't take into account this this other line. So that's, wow, 3,760 cases are African-American of either Black, Latino, um, considered to be of unknown African descent or of non-Hispanic Latino descent. So of all the cases combined who are black, that's a pretty big number. For whites, the total number is 2,611 or somewhere like that. And the total number of deaths um, from it is a little over 200 deaths. So what we're seeing is that there are more uh, people of African descent who are dying from this disease than people who are of other races. Mm. Why that is, I don't think anybody really knows at this time. There other has than been comorbidity. So exactly. if someone, someone is already not in good health, you're hypertensive, you have diabetes, you have all these other issues that put you at a, and we, and we've discussed that before. And most people do know if you do catch anything and it could be anything, honestly, if you have comorbidities, you run the risk of being affected by something more than someone who's Correct. in pretty decent health. You, do you remember when everything started really ramping up at maybe like at the beginning of March, end of February, when people were saying that black people couldn't get right. COVID-19? Yeah. I wonder why people think like that, that there is something about a particular race that prevents you from catching something. And I think that that's not just COVID-19, but people have said that in the past for other things. And it's just not true. Yeah, folks, (laughs) we are all human. Yes. Regardless of whether we're black, white, um, it really doesn't 
matter. Right. If you are a human being, this virus is coming at you. The, the true enemy in this is a virus. Yes. And we have to keep that in mind. Has no borders. It knows no, no difference in the race. No, no difference in, difference in nationality. It is coming at you if you are a human being, period. I, I think, you know, I, I have this theory, this speculation that maybe that feeling occurred because we saw it in China yes. and then we saw it in Europe, mm-hmm. which, you know, was clearly not majority um, black. Mm-hmm. And then you didn't really hear a lot of it in Africa at the time. Right. Um, but I think once it hit the United States, it was all bets off. Yes. You know, and we we can see the results of that. Now, African-Americans are making up the the majority of the cases. Yeah. And like you said, it probably has to do with the comorbid conditions, the um, prevalence of heart disease, of lung disease, of kidney disease. And why is that? Well, the way that this virus works is that it attaches to what we call the ACE2 receptor, angiotensin-converting enzyme receptor that is in the lungs, but also found in, in the heart and also found in the kidneys. So what is being found is that even though there are, most of the time, the damage is done in the lungs, there's also prevalence of myo- myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart muscle itself. And so those people get sick, their, their heart enzymes elevate, they go into heart failure. There are some times where they go into to different types of arrhythmias or rhythm problems. And uh, some of these people also go into kidney failure. So once you get to a certain point, you end up getting into multi-organ failure, which means that more than one of your organs are failing and that ultimately will lead to, to the person dying. So if we can find a way to prevent people from getting that sick and from dying, then we may be able to essentially take the teeth out, out of this virus and right. save save a lot of lives and even long-term save, save the economy because that is one thing that other people are concerned about too is that with all of this shut-in, shelter-in-place, that the basics of an economy, which is human-to-human transactions, yes. is not... Uh, prevalent any anymore, right. and if you can't buy and sell, which means that the seller can't make money, mm-hmm. right? Then everything starts to fall apart, and so you need to be able to reinitiate those mini transactions, right? Um, as simple as going to a store and buying a bag of peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> You know, just the simple things in in life, going to the movies, going, you know, getting on an airplane, um, all of those little, what we we think are little transactions, when they add up all together, that is what makes our economy grow. And so this virus has affected our way of life in such a way that we may be heading down a recession or even worse, a depression. It, It may be even global. So I don't know if you saw on TV today that um, there were protesters in Michigan protesting, you know, their governor um, shelter in place order and basically saying what you're saying about the economy. But there is this fight between which is worse, mm -hmm. a bunch of people dying or an economy that comes to a standstill. And I hate that there even has to be a conversation about whether someone's life is as important as the economy. Mm -hmm. But 
mean, you know, it's an I, I think reality. The, the funny thing is that, you know, people are demonstrating because it appears that things are not as bad as everybody um, said it was going to be. Right. But that's... Because of mitigation efforts. Exactly. <laughs> because you don't know how bad something could be if you took some actions to make it, to keep it from being bad. Right. If you allow it to be bad, then it would be catastrophic. But if you stopped it, there's no time machine that you can go in and say, oh, I wish I could reverse them. I wish I could go forward and change the direction of time and see what see what happens, right? So the good thing is that all of these mitigation measures that you're talking about, especially the shelter in place and the social distancing, is actually working. And so people are seeing, hey, this thing ain't as bad. Yes. And so now everybody wants, to, everybody's getting antsy. They want to get back out because we are social creatures. Everybody wants to get back out and start to to enjoy life again. But folks, this thing is real and this, this thing is killing people. And even though it's not bad right now, if we if we break the shelter in place thing and we break this the social dis- distancing rule that we have in place, you're going to see a major spike in deaths. In deaths. And so the reason that things look okay now is because the mitigation measures are actually working. Just to paint a realistic picture for you, a supposed supposed picture, you know, around the world and in this country, the percentage of people who are dying from COVID-19 is between three to 5%. So let's say that there was no shelter in place and we decided that everybody just do whatever you want and um, who dies, dies, and who doesn't die, great. We're just going to do whatever. Like England was going to do that. England was just going to go with this herd immunity thing where you just get everybody infected and then um, once you get 70 to 80% immunity in the population, then you have essentially stopped the virus in its tracks because now there's more people who are immune than are not, and so they can't pass it on to the next. So let's say that we decided to do that, right? Just think about this. 3%, I'm, I'm going to go with the lower number, 3% mm-hmm. of the population of infected people. Let's say that there, I think that's about 300 million people in this country, right? I don't know the exact number. It's a lot of people. It's a lot. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, it's more than three, 300 million, but I'm mm-hmm. going to say 300 million. So 300 million people, and let's say that we decided that we are, we are not going to shelter in place, we are not going to social distance, we're just going to let everything be. 3% of 300 million people, how much is that? Do the math. That's about 9 million people. So the potential is that if you don't take these mitigation measures and you just say, ah, oh, just let things, whatever happened, come what may, this thing could be a lot bigger than what we're seeing right now. So I think, you know, I give kudos to to the leaders because they are preventing a catastrophic um, problem. Yes. And they, had they not done it, then the argument just would have been on the other side why of it, didn't which is they? why didn't they? Yes. So it's almost like, I mean, you can't win for losing. Mm-hmm. And um, just an FYI, there are, in the, did you say in the world population? The world? This, this was the United States. Oh, the United, the United States. United States. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I was going to say you were off by a little bit. Yeah. The world. <laughs> that was the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe the virus. Uh, no. no oh, gosh. Even, uh, no, no. I'm, oh. I'm not even going to go there. No. So 
you know, Nikki, I've been thinking about, well, how do, how do we treat this thing? How can we prevent Tell us, Dr. Griffith. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat over here. <laughs> you are hilarious. <laughs> so first, let's just talk about how this thing kills kills people. Right. Right. So we we talked about the fact that it affects the lungs, right? But mm. so what happens is that again, this virus is going to to attach to the receptors in in the lungs, and the lung tissue is very soft. It is one cell deep. Why? Because that is where gas exchange happens. That's where oxygen goes into the blood from the air. And that's where the carbon dioxide from the blood gets out and, and you ex exhale it. So that, so that tissue has to be paper thin. And that's where the virus is attaching. And guess, guess what happens? Our immune system, our antibodies go after the virus yes. right at that spot. You see, and what happens then is that you get all of this inflammation and that is called the cytokine storm. Right. And what happens after that is that if, if you look at an x-ray, you go from a clear x-ray to a whited out x-ray. And then the person is complaining that they can't take a deep breath. They just can't complete a breath. And then their oxygen levels continue to drop from 100% to 90% to 80% to 70%, 60%. It just keeps on dropping. And our gut instinct is to continue to raise the oxygen level. And when that isn't working, well, we do the next thing. And we've seen this happen in China. We've seen it happen in Europe, in Italy, in Spain, and so forth. And here in New York and Louisiana and these places, the first instinct is that when somebody is not oxygenating well, we put them on a ventilator. And then we put them on the ventilator and then their oxygen levels still are not rising even while they're, they're on a vent ventilator. And so the next thing that we do is that we give them more pressure. We, put, we, we start to pressurize that air that we're putting in, into the lung and that is called PEEP, mm -hmm. positive end expiratory pressure. Well, that high pressure blowing into an already inflamed lung tissue that is weak results in a lot of damage and that can kill. So what do we have to do? We have to prevent the virus from, from getting to the lungs. So we have to stop its replication, its division, and we have to keep the antibodies from going at it because that's where the war is happening. It's, it is happening in the lungs. Right. So what, what I'm proposing is that we, we take the combatants of the battlefield. Mm-hmm. That's how we treat this thing. So one is that we give them an antiviral drug that can reduce the amount of viruses that are replicating inside of the body. And then we suppress the immune system so that these ant antibodies cannot attack. And by taking these two players out of the lung, we can effectively stop this fight that is going on in the lung, stop the inflammatory response, the inflammation, stop, mm -hmm. stop the cytokine storm. And the person doesn't end up on a vent. And right. if they do end up on a vent, then we, we can quickly get them off of that ventilator. So we, we prevent the inflammation from happening in the lungs. The lungs is, is the battlefield and the players, the combatants are the antibody and the virus. Take them out of the equation and save, save the battlefield. 
right. the battlefield remains intact. So, so that is my theory on, on how we treat this thing. And what you're saying from a medical standpoint is very logical. The issue is, and we all know, is this is a novel virus. We have antivirals that exist and have existed for years, but we don't have any that was made specifically for this. Mm -hmm. So this is why the conversation gets really confusing to the general population when you have people talking about this drug versus this drug. The thing is, is that logically that would work. It's what's the combination that you're using. That's why there's been a few different medications that have been thrown out. But there's also been people like Dr. Anthony Fauci who said, we haven't studied this enough to Mm -hmm. know. So it has to be done though. Someone has to take that first step and do it. And there have been a few different sporadic things like in China where they were using an an HIV medication, Mm -hmm. an antiviral medication and had some good responses. And then of course, we know that people have been talking about hydroxychloroquine, Mm -hmm. but it's, we have to have them working together. Exactly. I think that is is the difference is that we have been using them independently. Mm -hmm. We use one or we use the other. Mm -hmm. Um, When in effect, if the the antiviral, since it's broad spectrum, meaning that it, it can work on a lot of viruses, but it's not very specific, it's not going to kill the virus completely. Right. It's just going to slow down the replication, the, the replication of it, of it be, because some of the machinery mm-hmm. is, is very similar to other viruses. And so if you can at least block some of the machinery, you, yes. you can slow down the replication or division of this virus. But the antibodies are still attacking it. Yes. Right. And still creating all of this inflammation and cytokine release within the within the lungs. So if you can stop and this goes against this is contrary to how we would think that we would treat an infection, because to treat an infection, the basic instinct is that you have to have an immune system to actively fight this this infection. Mm -hmm. And so in most cases, I think antibodies are good. You know, you've got to get the immune system revved up. But in this case, where these people are, where the lungs are getting all damaged and everything, the immune system, I think, is actually working against the um, the it's body. It's in overproduction. That's it's, where the storm, the cytokine, that's where the storm, storm is, is happening, and that's mm-hmm. when everything goes bad. You you know, you get all this inflammation, you get all, all of this these secretions within the lungs, the tissue just starts to get weak and friable. Yes. And then what do we do next? We pressurize it, mm-hmm. and. And all of these little balloons within the lung just go pop, 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 pop. And we're wondering why we can't oxygenate because we are killing the architecture of the lung. It's it's like, you know, I gave the analogy earlier of Batman, no, Superman and Gotham City. You know, Superman is is the antibody and you have uh, the other people that came from his homeworld, Krypton. They They are the virus. They're equally as strong. Mm-hmm. And so what does Superman do? Well, he fights them and he fights them in Gotham City. And if you saw the movie, you, you saw what happened. In their fight, they broke down buildings, they destroyed cars, they roads. The Gotham City was totally demolished and a lot of people died in that process. And when Batman saw that, he's like, you know, Superman got to go. <laughs> he he caused too much damage. Right. So Gotham City is the lung, okay? And the 
antibody is Superman and the viruses are these other people from Krypton, his homeworld. And that battle, they thought they were saving people. They were trying to, Superman was trying to save people, but he demolished the city. And I think that this is what is happening with the lung. The antibodies mm. are attacking the viruses. Yes. And it's causing all of this problem affecting the actual architecture of the lung tissue itself. Right. And then they, they can't oxygenate and they die. So if we, we can take the combatants, take these two players off of the field, keep them out of the lung, then we, we may be able to save people. That's my, that's my humble opinion on it. So you had an opinion. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Thank you. So <laughs> I am, I'm hoping that, you know, that we can find a, a resolution to this problem quickly so that we can all get back to our usual life, you know. So, so in the meantime, since we're coming to an end, just a reminder, everyone, please make sure you're wearing a mask when you're out in public. If you're walking by yourself down the street and no one's around you, you don't really need to have a mask on. It's just not lingering in the air with nobody to spread it. And if you cough or breathe, it's your own secretions. But if you are around people, if you're in the public or you're having interactions, please wear a mask. Make sure you're practicing proper hand washing. And if you cannot wash your hands, no soap and water is available, make sure you're using a alcohol-based hand sanitizer. And stay home. And stay home. We we are not we are not out of the woods, folks. And my fear is that everybody's gonna get really comfortable and they're going to want this thing to end. And if we don't have a treatment and we don't have a vaccine, well, people are still unexposed, right? So there's going to be a second wave yeah, and a third wave. And so we are not out of the woods. This is not over. So I know that a lot of people are getting stir crazy right now. And pe- people are concerned about the economy and about making money, but it's better to be alive. Yeah. I had to go to Walmart to get some paper today and there were a whole lot of people out stimulating the economy with the with their stimulus checks today. So, oh, so, so the checks are coming in. People's checks are coming That's in good. and you know, there's a lot of people out here. Mm-hmm. We it doesn't need to be this many people. We still yeah. have to make sure we're protecting ourselves. Be safe. So yeah, please yeah, be we safe. We have to be safe. Yeah. So folks. We have come to the end of this week's show, and we want to thank you again for joining us. Any final words, Nikki, before we go? Just like I said at the very beginning, thank you for one year of our listening audience. We appreciate you, and we've enjoyed this year, and we'll continue on through the next. (laughs) Amen, amen. I second that. And so on that end, I... You know, I have to say thank you to everybody who helped to get us on, on the air. Yes. And for everybody who have been diligently listening to us, we really appreciate your your feedback and your comments. And so let's push through another year. Yes, yeah. yes. As always, I am your host, Dr. Kendall Griffith, and my co-host, Nurse Nikki. Good night and God bless. <laughs>